Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I don't know what you're going on about, Gavin. You're the one people doesn't think exists. Kimberly is real. Very, very real. Yes. The following podcast contains... But swearing and using dirty words is not one of my vices. I don't use foul language, and I don't like to hear anyone else use it either. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided people wanted to hear you and your friend just bullshit for like an hour about vampires, what the hell were you thinking? But then I was like, dude, that's what actually most podcasts are. So I had my friend and executive producer Kimberly Steele come on in and talk about vampires with me. Specifically, vampires in pop culture. So, if you want to hear that, stay tuned. Joining us on the pod is executive producer, senior editor, and the unsung hero of this dumb fucking show, Kimberly Steele. Unsung hero. Well, after Gavin. I mean, Gavin. Oh, yes, yes. Gavin is probably the unsung hero that most people associate with because they've heard him on the show for many years now. So The most unsung. I will not take his title as that. But you actually do have many other titles that are higher than his. Well, there you go, right? As long as I have that going for me. It is a pleasure to be on this side of the microphone, Dave Bledsoe. It's fucking great to have you here, which... You know, you've been you've been name dropped on this podcast for literally years. Oh yes, I love it. And it's all been behind the scenes work and we we have done stuff. Oh sure. We it's do stuff. Ju- we it's just I, I never produced it and never put it on the air because I'm a piece of shit. So Oh, not at all. We do our our uh ideation and our conceptual work. Uh, used to be over drinks, but uh, yeah. you know now it, it's it, over non-alcoholic beer. Now, for me. now it's over non-alcoholic beers on your part, and still over whiskey for mine. That's fine. So I brought you on the show because uh, it's Spooktacular 2023. Spooktacular, and we are talking about creatures of the night, the undead. Every Slayer has a death wish. Every Slayer <laughs> has a death wish. It's vampires, folks. It's vampires. And obviously, if you have been with the show through this month, you have heard all the vamp talk. And I thought that what I really wanted to do was bring on somebody that knows a shitload more about vampires than I will ever know. Ergo, Kimberly Steele. She is I. Tell me, Kimberly, what was your first vampire love? Oh, I mean, how long do you have? Okay. So, first vampire love was probably, it was actually Louie. It was Louie from Anne Rice's interview with the vampire, because that's where I started. Right, yes. But it it pretty rapidly became Lestat. So... Uh, I, should I just go? Should I just, just go? Start? Okay. Yeah, just go. So, so basically, when I was a kid, I don't even know how old, but my sister had been reading 
the Vampire Chronicles, as it were. And uh, she was completely obsessed with Lestat. So I was like, okay, I have to I have to start reading these Vampire Chronicles. And I started with Interview with the Vampire, first one. And I was like, what is she talking about? Lestat is like a total douchebag. And Louis is the hero. But, of course, that all becomes revealed later in the books that, you know... Lestat is really the hero of these. Of, right. Of the this thing. is most people who have who have who've seen the movie Interview with the Vampire. Yes. And that's as far as they have gone with Anne Rice. As far as they should have gone. Right. We can say. So they 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 say to themselves, well, clearly Louis is the hero, but no, 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 no. If you if you've done any sort of deeper reading, you have. Louis is a bit of a sniveling little prick. Now, we like Louis because Lestat likes Louis. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, he has an in. He's got cred. Uh, but, you know, Lestat, Lestat will, will also like anyone. But, okay. So, let me let me try to make this uh, somewhat interesting. So, yeah. When I started to read the Interview with the Vampire, I just, I can't really remember. It's been too long. I can't really remember what happened to my bodily chemistry and brain chemistry but something happened i think that's called puberty <laughs> yeah but i think it was pre-puberty i think it's quite possible that the vampire chronicles shoved me into a premature <laughs> puberty because i was i mean wow like first love first love of any loves really was was louis and then rapidly lestat and like the the transition there for you know, probably Presumably, some of your listeners have, have read these these books, but the idea is uh, in the first book, Louis is interviewed by just a human Christian who, Slater, yeah, by Christian Slater called the boy in the book, and we later learn his name. But to tell you the absolute truth, I do not remember it. It's just Christian Slater. That's, <laughs> that's well, fine. it was supposed to be River Phoenix. Yeah, and then he sadly. Died. Well, in any case, he was not able to. Uh, bring that role to fruition so so yeah christian slater's the boy and uh so in basically louis tells this his whole life story of how he became a vampire and hit the life that he shared with lestat who was his maker i want you to see we get started so what do you do i'm a vampire <laughs> that's something i haven't heard before you, uh, you mean this literally, I take it? Absolutely. I was waiting for you in that alleyway. Watching you, watching me. And then you began to speak. So what a lucky break for me. Perhaps lucky for both of us. And, uh, you know, he was the hero of his own story, of course, but it turns out when you start The Vampire Lestat, which is the second book in the series, uh... The big reveal that comes very early on in the book, in the second book, is that Louis just quite simply lied about Lestat being such a prick to him all those years. It's like vampires. You can't trust them. You can't trust them, but you can trust Lestat. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yes. And the reason, and I'm probably going to botch a lot of the you know yeah whatever. no one's gonna fact check you on this but trust me. in any case this is at least what i've told myself throughout my my uh my life the reason why and rice at one point was quoted saying that the reason why she made lestat her hero throughout the rest of the chronicles 
instead of Louis is just quite frankly because he was more interesting. There was more to do with him. He really loved life. He loved his existence as a vampire and he didn't really feel the need to make a whole lot of apologies for it. Whereas Louis was just, like I said, a little bit of a sniveling. Sounds a whiny bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Whiny bitch. Yeah. A bit. A bit. Dave here. I, uh, I lied. I, I did fact check Kimberly. And this is uh, what Anne Rice said on her Facebook page back in the May of 2016. Quote, I wasn't even thinking about Lestat when I wrote an interview with the vampire. I was thinking about Louis. Louis was the hero. Everything revolved around Louis. Lestat just sprang to life in the corner of my eye. This character took on all this ferocity. I never sat down and thought, well, this is based on my husband Stan, or this is what Stan would do. I had an idea of Lestat as the man of action, the man who could do things that I couldn't do, the man who could make the decision that I never had the nerve to make, and the person who could go through life joyfully in spite of the questions that torment me, the doubts that torment me. The horror of death that torments me, unquote. Uh, and again, we love him, but, you know, he's not Lestat. So, um, so yeah, my obsession with Lestat was like, I mean, we, we are talking some next level shit. Um, right. I mean, I've known you for a, a long time, 20 mm-hmm. odd years now. I would not describe you as a goth girl. Mm-mm. No, goth, goth for Lestat. Yeah, just yeah, you're you're like goth adjacent mostly because of the vampire thing, but like you're not like wearing high heel boots and spiderweb tattoos or anything. No. So this is a pure like vamp vamp shit, you know, vampire specifically Anne Rice vampire shit. Well, it was the storytelling. I mean, the storytelling is quite frankly brilliant. I will stand by this even today having read a you know, more literature than I I care to to remember or can remember. Like it's it holds up. These stories holds up. Bitch knows how to write write a story. Uh, new. God bless her. <laughs> if she's actually dead and right. not, you never know. No, no. Just I, I don't. I, I have not. If Anne Rice releases a new novel in the next few years, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's because she has gotten the dark gift. She is the undead. Um. So the literary aspect of of vampires. Which Anne Rice definitely captured. Nailed. Were you were you into that prior to Anne Rice, or did you get into that after your exposure to Anne Rice? After, during, and after, she was the gateway. She was she was pretty much everything. I don't even recall any. I don't even recall being particularly drawn to any vampire fiction prior to that. I mean, after I started, after I read Anne Rice, I read Dracula. I read uh, well. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's. But literarily speaking, mm-hmm. the genre of vampires were Bram Stoker. Yes. Then a bunch of cheesy Hollywood movies, right. and then Anne Rice. Yes. Right. And I never cared too much for the cheesy Hollywood movies. And you know, your first in this this twenty twenty three spooktacular was on the Lost Boys, which was a favorite of mine. Uh, but again, not until after I was already, you know, neck deep in Anne Rice. Right, so exactly. So you, you, my question is, the Lost Boys, clearly it's a Peter Pan reference, and mm. it's very deeply enmeshed in Bram Stoker, and not a little Anne Rice, because we have to admit that almost all the the... T 
teenage character, the Lost Boys of Vampires, were, whether they were acknowledged or not, were clearly Anne Rice vampires. Yeah, I mean, she was out there. And she, what I always thought that, what she did for the genre, it's like, to get slightly serious for a moment, is, what I've always said is she brought, like, a, um, it wasn't incidental that they were vampires, but... She, th- these were just human stories, and whether they were killing people or not, like this, the fact that they were vampires was just part of any given mythology. So, so she just brought a face to the monster, and it turned out great because, for one thing, it wasn't monstrous at all. She was, I believe, I mean, I could be wrong about these things, but she was like the first to make vampires sexy and yeah. like really really well, desirable i mean th- there's an argument to be made that even that the stoker and hollywood had mm. made them sexy but not in a not in a i want to fuck them sort of way right but in a darkly romantic sort of way right and like she she made like you know you want you want Anne rice's vampires to like be your companions right. you don't just want them and made vampires fuckable Oh, yes, which is ironic because they can't do that. <laughs> which, yeah, there's so much missing in, 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 the sub, in, in the subtext from the novels. <laughs> Just like, the, the, the experience of drinking blood is the only sexual uh, fruition release that, release that, 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 that a have. vampire could have. Correct. But in the movie, they're like, oh, no. Right. They be fucking. They Which be- was problematic because there was a 10-year-old girl in there, but... that Yeah, that's true. And, you know, in the book, she was five. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, wow. But they couldn't cast. No, they couldn't do no. that. There's, there's a whole other sub-episode uh, <laughs> in that where I talk about how... The, the, because in the 90s, there was a whole Lolita thing oh, where sure. there was so much, like... Hey, we would really like to be fucking underage girls in these movies, right? And that's Oof, disturbing. It's incredibly and disturbing. And Listen to "You Must Remember This" by. <laughs> it's a great podcast about the movies, and they've been talking about that, and it's fucking really disturbing how much child porn was in '90s movies. Well, and Claudia was a was a really weird and controversial character. Uh, even in the books, right? Even in the books. And, like, I think, so... so and Anne addresses that. Yeah, I mean, insofar as... So, Claudia was actually based on a child that she had, IRL, who died. So, she, like, early in her life, she suffered this horrible tragedy. Her, her you know, I guess, you know, her young daughter. I don't know if it was her only child at the time. I don't know if Christopher Rice was already on the scene or not. But, um... You know, I think she had some kind of rare form of cancer. I don't know. Maybe it was just leukemia. Who knows? But she was terminal and she died at the age of five. And Anne Rice's whole thing was, you know, it was basically immortalizing her in a way. Wow. That that changes the the context. Which the movie made sexual. But it's strange because Claudia herself and Anne Rice, like, don't even get me fucking started yeah we we've all learned to our regret the thin line between like when it comes to Anne rice's literature the porn she wrote or whatever uh under a pseudonym of course um 
you know, there are fine lines with Anne Rice herself about like what love and companionship is and how that becomes sexual and when it becomes sexual and whether or not that is appropriate. And it's all kinds of things that she explores in an interview uh, in a relatively, I want to say, it's not really a subtle way, but it's it's maybe philosophical or even academic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's poetic. Poetic is the is probably the best way to put it. Exactly. And there, you know, she it's definitely like she definitely brings to light a lot of the like questions. And Claudia herself, her existence is a problem. And everybody in the book knows this. Like, because she is five and she is old. You know, she lives to be I don't know how old before yeah, they kill at her. least push in a hundred. Right. Exactly. So and then she, her relationship with Louis is incredibly, like, incredibly close. And they are companions and they are almost like a married couple, really. Uh, and it's, it's strange. Because, but, again, vampires don't have sex like we have sex. Right. So there is no sex involved, obviously. But the, it's, the, the relationship itself is, is uh, intimate in, yeah. in ways. Yeah. And it, I think that it it shows up in the movie. It does. It definitely you see that in the movie, but in the book, it's way more nuanced. Absolutely, and I think that they they could, you know, they could cast someone who was. They had to cast someone who was a little bit older for obvious reasons, but then they also had to cast someone who was a little bit older because, frankly, they couldn't capture the kind of like nuance that that claudia had to have as a character in somebody so in an actor that was so young right so whatever uh they did a pretty good job as far as i'm concerned um with the actual movie adaptation but it doesn't hold a candle and then you know they totally just went off the fucking deep end with the queen of the damned yeah which they which did Aaliyah, mm. fucking beautiful woman Love the casting idea sure. of this beautiful black woman, and which absolutely un, uh, upturned a lot of fucking people. But it she, made perfect sense in the context of Anne Rice's mythos. Well, and she was not the problem. She was not the problem. The problem was in the writing of that uh, abomination of a movie. Yeah. Because they... And don't get me wrong. Like, I watched it recently, even. Like, whatever. I enjoy it because I enjoy anything that even comes remotely, you know, tangential to Anne Rice. But, uh, but my God, it was bad. Give me my crown. Spoken like a true king. Go. You see how he obeys. You will, or you will all die. And what they tried to do is take the mythology that comes to light in Queen of the Damned, which is, by the way, the third book in the series. So it's Interview with the Vampire. Just the skipping Vampire over Lestat. Yes, and they completely, they tried to, like, combine the, like, entire life and, and, development of Lestat as a character into the mythology of vampires altogether and you just can't you can't do that so all of the shit 
that that all the the amazing um background that you get about Lestat's life all the reasons that I became next level obsessed with him became like a footnote in this movie yeah. and it was just like I don't even care and Queen of the Damned like okay decent book but certainly not the shining star of this uh series or that trilogy at the time so whatever wildly disappointed by the movie but we don't we don't have to go down that dark dark route right right um so obviously though i think that so the vampire lestat which is the second novel in Correct. in the uh in the in the vampire trilogy queen of the damned being the third is perhaps the key piece of literature that informed vampires in the 90s late 80s 90s and into the 21st century i would agree and people you know you might be able to make an argument for it being interview with the vampire because it was so such a it was it was a much more popular book right yes uh you know everybody's read it whereas you know much fewer well for the movie audience but for the literary audience and for the uh the vamp the vamp the vampire aficionados yes you don't know vampires unless you've read the vampire lestat i will come out and draw that line in this exactly and we could go into vampire movies in the 21st centuries and things like that we can clearly draw a line between ed edward and and uh, twilight and lestat but can we do like a he said it he said it when it comes to when it comes to edward yes yes know? i can absolutely drop that in there gavin gavin drop that in there and post uh, uh, he said it. He said it. Because yeah, that that is that is anathema to the um whatever whatever that, <laughs> into, whatever into that the, woman it, did. It, yeah, whatever she did. Can we just admit that it was wrong? It was wrong. It was so wrong. They sparkled. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so we're gonna take a brief break here, and we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about the pro the the product that came. From Anne Rice's Vampires in the early 21st century. How did you do it? What should I tell you? It's in my power. Why yours alone? Tell me how it was done. Be glad I made you what you are. You'd be dead now if I had like that damned corpse. Now get rid of it! You get rid of it. Obviously, we are talking about how Anne Rice influenced vampires, vampire mythology that came after her. And I'm pretty sure that the next great vampire mythology was in one place. It was in Buffy, right? I would agree. Uh, certainly in my relatively, uh, biased view. So, 1997. I believe so. Yeah, oh no, I looked it up. It was March of 1997. Replaced a show on the WB called Savannah. (laughs) Oh, I remember Savannah. (laughs) Oh my God, seriously? Because I didn't. I was like, 
So you, the first season of Buffy was a 12 episode mid season replacement for a show called Savannah. And I was wow. like, I have no fucking recollection of this. I did not know it was a replacement. That is pretty interesting. And also, I I didn't watch the WB until Buffy came along. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone did. Um, yeah, and then and I wasn't like so much there for the beginning of Buffy, but it was more of a binge thing afterward. For me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did not watch the first season of Buffy until after the fact. Yeah, I and know I didn't. I literally was sitting there one afternoon in like 1998 or evening flipping through channels and I saw Sarah Michelle Gellar and I was like, hot, <laughs> creepy. Well, no, actually, no, I no. was a lot younger yeah. then. I you was were, like, I was young. like 29 okay, then. That's, that's fine. And she was like 19. That's so. fine. And besides. And clearly, well, if we've shown anything, I date young. So. Well, and, you know, on the show, she was, you know, fucking much older vampires. So that's <laughs> yes, okay. Exactly. Exactly. I am not nearly as creepy as Angel. No. So. <laughs> no. Poor Angel. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so how did how did you come to Buffy? Oh, good God. Okay. So I was very resistant to Buffy. I was, like, resistant to Buffy the way I was resistant to twilight um Ooh, oh that's 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 a dramatic statement yes but one pleasantly surprised me i mean that's an understatement and the other was you know repulsive and gross so uh i so my dear friend our dear friend uh andrew odell dr odell what watched buffy somewhat religiously when we were in college and he kept trying to get me to watch it and I resisted, resisted, resisted because I was like, oh no, no, I am an Anne Rice purist and you know, that was something I was very proud of at the time and so I, I didn't do it he, he just he kept saying, he's like, you don't understand, you don't understand and I don't even remember the arguments he would make but I, I, I was not hearing it. So one day he convinced me to watch an episode, not even an episode, a clip a scene from one episode. He's like, if you watch the scene from this one episode, you will start watching. Buffy. And this was before YouTube, y'all. This was like mm. in 2001. Yeah, this was probably. Yeah, that's probably right. And uh, so I was like, OK, fine. So uh, he showed me a scene in late Buffy, like season six. Season seven, possibly. Yeah, Buffy. it would. Yeah, that. that yes, yeah. it had to have been season seven, right? So, uh, and it is. Can I? Should I say the scene? Should yeah, yeah, go scene? for it. Yeah. So it. I'll is, dub it in later. It is the scene where Spike. Mm, <laughs> 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 Spike. Uh, he has unbeknownst to Buffy, who he already has a deep deep history with sexual because buffy or buffy vampires oh yeah they be fucking they be fucking they be fucking and that's fine we we can overlook that uh and we do so um so he has unbeknownst to her gone and uh retrieved his soul and he's gone through a lot of um trials and you know shit that pretty much nearly killed him in order to get his soul back and in the buffy verse uh, when a vampire has his soul, 
he, uh, for all intents and purposes, becomes like, you know, he's basically human. You can't kill him. <laughs> you can't. He's a vampire. <laughs> He's but he vampire. feels all the evil that he's done. Right. He's he's not he's not a monster anymore. He's not a bad guy anymore. You have to treat him like you would treat a human. And she doesn't know any of this and all she knows is that he's done something absolutely horrible and unforgivable to her which uh you know, I I won't refer to. Fine. Flushed in. Solid through. Get it hard. Service to go. Stop it. Right. Girl doesn't want to be serviced. But it's very bad. Yes, yeah. And I, I'm gonna have to refer to it when I when I record the show. It's not good. It's not good. He But it is yeah. also a bold piece of, of, of filmmaking or television oh. to to put it out there like that to make this character which is incredibly popular oh and my God. evil, statedly evil. Yes. To remind the viewer that he is in fact evil. evil. Yes. Yes, exactly. Bad guy. And, you know, oh, bold though. And also, and also to remind us that a lot of guys can be evil. Right. So, and I mean, all, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar still says like the whole, and I'm sure she's not the only one, like the entire series of Buffy was all just this kind of metaphor for being a teenager. And, right. you know, yes. that that really stands up. And, you know, like I, I watched it after I was a teenager, but it, it really is very it's good. It's good it reminds me. Yeah. I watched it way after I was a teenager and I was like, oh, like, yeah, I remember that. I remember it was all what it was all like to be like that. But super bold writing and super bold storylines. And, like, for the fucking WB, and it was the CW by then, but still. And uh, that's what they went to, right? Yeah, WB, CW, CW. Yeah. So, in any case, um, he gets his soul, and he uh, is trying to explain this to her. But what has happened to him, since he is now ensouled, is he, all of the people that he has tormented and killed in his hundreds of years as a vampire, uh, are kind of coming back to him and haunting him, and it's driving him stark, raving, fucking mad. So he really can't communicate anything in any kind of viable way. So he's trying to explain to her, and he keeps using this word. He's like, the spark. They put the spark in me. I tried to find it, of course. Find what? The spark. The missing... The piece. That fit. That would make me fit. Because you didn't want. I can't. And by the way, he's in a church when he's talking about this. And it's it's the scene, it's it's all very dark and blue and that whole, you know, oh, no, very off. fucking gothic. Oh my Pure, god. It goes back to the whole crux of how influenced this is by vampire literature and vampire movies and yeah exactly the whole vampire lore and it's all there and he's it, it suddenly starts to dawn on her what he's talking about he's like they put the spark in and now they won't go away and you know he's talking about like the ghosts and you know and and she is somewhat rightly scared of him at this point and so she's trying to keep her distance and and what happens at one point at the end of the episode is he leans on this gigantic cross 
in the church and he begins to like his his skin begins to smoke and and to steam because he's burning and um you know he says something like he says can we rest now buffy can we rest and she shall look on him with forgiveness and everybody will forgive and love he will be loved So everything's okay, right? Can we rest now? Buffy. Can we rest? And it becomes abundantly clear to her at that point what's happened. And she's horrified. She's horrified that he's had this done. Because she doesn't even know that it's possible. I mean, sure, it happened to Angel, but it was a curse. It was a whole different thing. Yeah, right. it yeah. was also like uh, unwillingly. Right, Angel never wanted his soul back. No, that's the crux of well, the series Angel that came after this. Mm-hmm. That and but Spike intentionally set out to recover his soul. To win the love of Buffy. Exactly. And to kind of atone for what he had done. Uh, So in any case, um, I saw that scene. And I was just like floored and moved and probably weeping. And, uh, you know, probably the next day I started Buffy from the first episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I was not disappointed. No, no. Oh, my God. I, I so I started watching Buffy probably season two, season three, and I was I mean, I was into the horror aspects of it. I was into the the, the creature of the week, the X Files creature of the week sure. sort of thing. I had come to Buffy from the X Files, uh, fairly on the heels of one another. And then I started realizing that that Buffy was all of a sudden so much better written. That what it portrayed itself to be is, which was a a teen teen horror sure. a teen horror show. I mean, the ensemble cast, all of their relationships, they all had individual characters. Like, like you couldn't just take what one of them said and put it in the mouth of another. You know, like all of these people, they had their robust characters. There was obviously all the quote unquote Scoobies. Um, who were Buffy's friends, who were all kind of in on the fact that she was a slayer and trying to help her. So there was Willow and uh, Xander and, of course, Giles. And, you know, like, they, they were they were just real. And the, the vampire characters, the Angel and, and Spike being, like, the, the most obvious and salient, they were also very human and very real. And, uh, you know, I was obviously rather in love with both of them. There was a Shakespearean aspect to a lot of the characters in Buffy. And I, I don't just say that because we're both English majors, mm. but but I do say that because we're both English majors. But the dark tragedy that is so deeply inwoven yes. in every lead character in the two vampires and, and in Buffy is very Shakespearean because there's no happiness in their lives. The tragedy and the irony and all of it, it all comes together very well. And 
you know, I don't know, like, basically just from the beginning, like, you know, Buffy falls in love with Angel, who she doesn't originally know is a vampire. She just knows that he is super hot, which David Boreanaz was. Oh, my God. Yes. And it's so ironic, and I hate it, and God bless you, David Boreanaz. I still love you. But, uh, you know, they cast David Boreanaz as a vampire that doesn't age, and my God, did that guy hit a wall. Yeah, no, so ironically, James Marsters. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's, he, he's he's still. I mean, obviously, he looks thirty years older, but also. Yeah, I mean, you know, and they made it work. But the point is, like season one, David Boreanaz is Angel. Oh, good lord! <laughs> yes, he's this glacial god. Yes, that just look at he's carved out of ice and. And she finds out he's a vampire, and of course she wants to kill him because she's the Slayer. And uh, then she finds out he's ensouled, and it's very complicated for her. And they continue, they they start and continue to have a relationship that has its uh, ups and downs. And he goes evil for like a whole season, practically. And, you know, that's kind of when... Spike was already on the scene, but Spike uh, becomes more of a character which wasn't necessarily planned in the show, but people absolutely love James Marsters' Spike, and we can see why. And he he just fucking nailed it. And, you know, like, if if uh, you, Spike is Lestat and Angel is Louie. Yes, exactly. That's, that's, thank you for bringing that back around, because which Louie is-, is this troubled soul that is not happy with his immortality. Exactly. Or his existence, he's very broody. And, you know, don't get me wrong, we love that. But, you know, Spike loves life. He loves being a vampire. Lestat loves life. He loves being a vampire. They even kind of look, you know, the part. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's... Like, Lestat was blonde, and, you know, Spike is, like, dyed blonde, but whatever. Which, why... Yeah, so was so was Lestat. I mean, come on. <laughs> You know, you know, Lestat spent some time in a salon. So. <laughs> yeah, he's bleaching that shit. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, you know, when Spike comes on the scene, like, he, it, it's just like the fucking Louis Lestat thing. Like, everybody loves Louis until there is Lestat. And then. Everybody loves Louis was a short lived sitcom, <laughs> vampire sitcom in the 1990s. <laughs> Everybody loves Louie. That would be so great. I would watch that show. Oh, my God. Of course. So everybody loves Louie until there is Lestat, and everybody loves Angel until there is Spike. Until there is Spike. Yeah. It is really wild, the division that came in Buffy when Spike showed up. Because uh, not not when Spike showed up originally, because Spike was just a, a generic bad guy yep. and then james marsters came on as like all right babe yeah i know it was the it was the accent wasn't it it was definitely partly the accent without a doubt but he also um it, it you know i there are still two teams here too like I, there are still team angel people and i absolutely respect that um but yeah, I am not necessarily one of them. Now, in a spikeless world, sure. Let's, yeah, I'm teammates. Oh, Angel. yeah, of course, yeah. But there, we blessedly do not live in a spikeless world. No, God, no. 
So anyway, he's amazing. Um, and then, you know, Angel goes off to to be his own vampire and i.e. do his own show. And uh, then the relationship between Spike and Buffy really has a chance to get off the ground. And that is not the same kind of relationship because Spike at this point, of course, is not in sold. We're now talking like season th- four. Season, th- season season four, I think, if, yeah. I, if my research tells me anything. When Spike got the chip in his brain. Mm, yes, exactly. Because that, oh, thank you. That was their workaround. So sorry, I am, uh, pod friends, I am a little rusty on some of this stuff. So these yeah, reminders that was, are very helpful. It was almost 25 years ago. You're, you're fine. So. <laughs> that was their workaround for him being able to work with the Scoobies. Because with Angel, it was obvious. He had a soul. So he could be part of the gang. And yeah, some people, i.e. Xander, Dick, didn't like him. But... Um, because they thought, oh, he's just a vampire. He'll always be just a vampire. But uh, ultimately, he could be part of the gang because he he was honestly like a good guy. Now, but they needed something for Spike to. Well, be, they needed a yeah. They needed a MacGuffin. Exactly. So the MacGuffin was that he had a chip in his head in season four that had been put there by a covert military operation that was trying to study these fuckers. Oh, what was the name of the boyfriend? Riley. Riley. Oh, God. And then Adam, which was a Frankenstein's monster. So this is... Not a great season of Buffy. I mean, there were some great shows, but... Exactly. And it's like, yes, obviously I rank, like, obviously you rank the seasons, and season four is... Yeah. Pod Friends, the lowest. But... But it still is kind of important. Like I wouldn't if you're gonna. Yeah, it's still a kind lot of, of a lot of Buffy backstory happened in season four, and that, a lot of Spike development happens yes. in season four. He's just not like. Well, they're obviously not banging yet, and they're not even like close yet. He's still. They all all the Scoobies still kind of like think he. They're they're very circumspect about Spike, but. Um, but the yeah the the workaround is that he has the chip so he can't hurt people uh, because every time he hurts people he is in agonizing pain. It's a head splitting headache. So yeah, and then of course uh, they actually become close. He and Buffy, and then in season six they become very close. But he's still a bad guy, and she thinks poorly of herself for you know sleeping with him. And it's a secret from all of her friends. And, uh, you know, then, of course, I've already explained that at the beginning of season seven, he becomes insult. When did the assault season happen? Do you remember? Oh, yes. That was the very end of not the very. I don't think it was the last episode, but if not, it was probably the penultimate episode or of season six. Uh, season six was it in it was definitely the darkest season. Yeah, it's very controversial season it's six. It's a very controversial season because, like, Willow goes bad and nobody thought that shit was going to happen, but goes bad for what is a very understandable reason. Um, and it's it's in Buffy's having this, like, uh, affair with Spike that she hates herself for, and it's really That is such dark. a fucking amazing arc. For There's like- so much secrecy, so much treachery so much diabolatry oh my god and it, it's just it, season six of buffy is always 
going to be one of my favorites just because that, that was real life. Oh, it's my favorite season. And I think a lot of diehard Buffy fans would consider it their favorite season because it just went places that you really didn't expect it to go. Uh, and it was really encouraging just to see that it would do that. I mean, it sounds a little cheesy maybe nowadays, but like they were breaking some, they were breaking some yes, actual exactly. ground. There was so much going on there. I mean, this was, this was in the, the peak TV, the, the, the 2000s, the, the Sopranos, the wire, right. all this shit was going on. And also here was this little show on the WB that was clearly avant-garde to making yeah. this seem like here's here's this fucking groundbreaking television that we're doing. Yep. That y'all aren't paying attention to. And you know, major character being LGBTQ. So and that was, you know, prior to season six, but uh, you know, like actually kind of exploring that in a real way for WB CW, I guess by that network. Time. It was network. network. It was network. And, and also, um yeah, the assault, which the assault episode, which is when Spike assaults Buffy, which, you know, is not, it's actually very uncomfortable to watch. Even today, Even 20 today. years later. And yeah. they film it in a very, like, it's not, because Buffy is all about these, like, you know, <laughs> a very unrealistic uh, fight scenes that are incredibly choreographed and like, oh, you know. Buffy has the strength of like a thousand people and the vampires have the strength of a thousand people and they're just, you know, unbelievable uh, uh, effects and whatever. But that assault scene is not that. It is just a guy fucking abusing the shit yeah, out of Yeah, that's a woman. what's fucking and, so horrifying about that is that... And it's terrible. It, it, it removes all the power and shows absolutely how that shit happens in real life and that was a gift that buffy always had the real life thing yeah exactly yeah it was uh it was great it was really really well done uh and you know when i say that i mean it was harrowing to watch uh and still is so but then you know spike becomes real real good guy <laughs> and, then, and then spike becomes a great guy again <laughs> and, then, and then we love spike uh, but he's very complicated. And that's the thing. That's the thing with Lestat, too. You know, these are these are complicated characters. They're not just monsters. They're... Yeah, uh, they're not one-dimensional characters. They actually are and people. He, and he is driven mad by his obsession with her. And so when he can't have her, you know, he, he doesn't know what the fuck he to do. He builds a Buffy bot. He builds a goddamn <laughs> Buffy bot. Wait, with Buffy Bot was yeah that was season six that was season six I I I went down a Buffy Bot rabbit hole oh sure which Mars you you could never do like a what what I built a Buffy Bot to have sex with me and then I put it on network television no who the fuck no right absolutely not this would get you canceled which okay. Joss Whedon wrote it, so now uh, well, I think I understand. I yeah, I there uh, a few of these things come become clear. Some say it's better than the real thing. Better than the real thing. She looks good, but what about the rest? A little walk, a little talk, perhaps a zippy cartwheel. Hey, she's uh, great. 
You'll be real happy, I swear. She's got everything you asked for. All the extra programming, tons of real-world knowledge, the profiles you gave me about her family and friends. All the extra programming, right? Uh, the, the stuff that you wanted, the uh, scenario responses, you know, the uh, uh, special skills, <laughs> all of it. Uh, now, you said that I could leave town. Wait, I'm not sure I'm a satisfied customer. She looks a little shiny to me, you know? A touch of plasticine. Spike? Oh, Spike. She'll do. So, we've spent a lot of time talking about Buffy. We spent a lot of time talking about Lestat. Let's just talk about vampire movies in general. What is going on with vampire movies now? So, I mean, I am not, like, I still gravitate toward, like, you know, the, the, what I consider the heyday vampire movies now. Like, obviously, there's still a, uh, a big, like, thrust in horror around vampires, right? Right. I mean, we, we've carefully been stepping around the vampire in the room. Right. The glittery, the glittery <laughs> vampire in the room. Which is fine. And I don't have a problem with vampires as horror. I think that there's a lot there. But vampire, what makes vampires kind of so interesting is, um, well, obviously there's the immortality aspect. And like, what does that actually mean? Because if you were to really truly be immortal, whether you were a monster who killed people for survival or not, and I actually, I just said something I hate, which is like, they don't really, it's not for survival. Like, they're going to survive anyway. Uh, but uh, but in any case, like, there's the immortality aspect, which is, god damn, what must that do to a person? What must that do to a mind uh, being immortal? So that's always been, like, a very interesting, like, philosophical part of all of this that that I feel like it's more interesting when that's explored, which isn't often explored in horror. That's that's something that's always like baffled me is like I feel like Anne Rice was tickling at the ideas. Yeah. But never really dove into the idea of what it might be like to live forever. Well, she did later. Like if you can if you keep with the vampire chronicles the way some of us did. You know, Lestat is a he has a real fucking problem with being immortal, even though he yeah, lying under the the, the bar in and and New Orleans, listening to the rock and roll band. Yes, and he just like he just he, he tries to he really does try to off himself like a number of times, and uh, it just doesn't work. But uh, you know, like. Whatever, like whether that is kind of like the philosophical thrust that makes the vampire so interesting or not, I, I really don't know. I think it's an aspect. Um, one of the things that I kind of have tried to do uh, in just like my writing life, if you can call it that, is um, explore like what what is this fucking magic around vampires that never made it to say werewolves, right? Yeah. So I wanted for for a brief period in my life, I thought that I would take on the burden of doing for werewolves what Anne Rice did for vampires, and by God, it just never worked. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to pick up that sword and run with it. So well, because she put like she put 
real human interest stories behind the vampire. And you can do that with werewolves, of course. But there is something. So first of all, like uh, the the immortality thing just isn't as, as salient with werewolves. And then also like, I'm sorry, this is going to sound, I don't know how this is going to sound, but like there is something about the transformation, like the transformation of a person to a werewolf is uh, very interesting. There's a lot that goes into it. And I kind of became obsessed for a while uh, with watching portrayals of it and how different movies would portray the actual transition scenes. Uh, and some of them do it really, really well. And most of the time they just turn into a fucking dog though. So whatever. Uh, but my point about that is I'm sorry, it's kind of gross. And it's just hard. It's really hard to make that appealing. And you know something? Anne Rice actually even tried, and in my opinion, she failed miserably too. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think it can be done. I think there is something about like the werewolf uh, genre, subgenre, that... It's just ne- like it, it's just never going to become as appealing as vampires, and that is probably why it stays more relegated to the realms of horror, because you just can't. Not that horror is subpar, but yeah, horror is subpar. Um, like you're just you you can't actually make them quite. You, there's not as much longevity to making them interesting. Over this month, I've been like digging deep into the ideas of vampires i lit on the noir aspect of it the 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 idea of the dark and gloominess yeah yeah that's key and i and even when you have humans interacting with vampires they have to slide into the darkness of the vampire yeah and I, I'm wondering if that's somehow relevant to the the times in which they are popular. That's really interesting. Like, I do think there's something about, like, you made me think about world building. So, and even, okay, even Stephanie Meyer. Oh, yeah. sorry. We we had to bring her up. We this, have- this is the only time you will ever catch me saying something positive about Stephanie Meyer and here it is uh, recorded for posterity but she did build a world now it might be kind of a dumb one but she did build a world that there there is something about the world and the existence of the vampire that is a fucking phenomenon in itself and it draws people it draws people like uh, magnetically and uh you know they're victims or they're and ironically people on opposite ends of the spectrum quasi goth girls of the 90s and the right. mormon housewives of the early 2010s right right oh dear uh i don't want to make you feel connected to them but no it's okay it's cool um you know the housewife part at least uh no i uh I don't know. I think that there's something there that's that's very, uh, you know, they even it's even they even talk about it with like vampires enthralling their victims. You there is a they there is a thrall that you are put under. Like it's you're not just you're not just yourself anymore. You have a compulsion to be not just like the victim of this creature, 
but part of that creature's world. And I just don't see that happening with other major characters uh, in these subgenres. Yeah, I don't you don't see get that, that with Frankenstein. You don't get that with zombies or, right, or, or werewolves or mummies. Or, yeah, you know, those they're just there to like kind of scare you and and maybe kill you. But if you're going to be killed by a vampire, by God, you're going to like it. Yeah, and you're going to live. <laughs> forever yes you well if yeah i mean not just yeah not if you're killed but if you're yeah if you get if you get the dark gift if you get the dark gift which by god any of us would i mean i look if i were offered the dark gift today oh my god there's not like not a second not a second's pause not a second's pause like if i find out if i go home and i find out so if you were i mean if I were offered the dark gift at like twenty seven, yeah, yeah, I would take the dark dark gift. If I were offered the dark gift at fifty four, yeah, I'm like I have to be like this for the rest of my life. Okay, well, I would need some time. <laughs> so, so uh, you bring up a good point. If you know, I was gonna say if I go home and like Lestat is there, and it just turns out like I was right this whole time, and he really is real. Not that I actually think that, Pod friends, but uh, if twelve year old me was right, and he is actually real, and he's just there, and he's like, "Let's do this shit, Kimberly." I would. What I was gonna say is, I'd just be like, "Oh yeah, let's fucking do this shit, Lestat." But I might actually just be like, "Give me like." A year. <laughs> Give me a good year. I'm going to start I, running again. Could I get boobs first? <laughs> yeah. I need to start running. I need to make sure that my hair is like, I go to a nice salon, right? Like a really nice one, one that I would never normally pay for. Uh, maybe get something done with my skin. You know, I mean, I'm fine with my skin, but you, we're talking about eternity here. Yeah, we're, exactly. This is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing that no one ever thinks about. Is that if you are suddenly gifted immortality. Right. Yeah, your hair stays that length. Your hair stays that length. And no, yeah. I would like to get a good hair haircut before, before yeah, I got there. Right. You need like some, you, you need s- some primping time before. Like, really, the cruelest thing that vampires do is probably just not give you any motherfucking notice. Pod <laughs> friends, this has been Kimberly Steele. The executive producer and editor of What the Hell Were You Thinking? And it is the conclusion of the What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast, Spooktacular 2023. Kimberly, thank you. This has been fucking amazing. Thank you, Dave Bledsoe. This has been quite the treat. And I am going to go watch some more vampire movies and read some more books. I just have one question. Yes, please. Fuck, Mary kill. <gasps> no, you can't. Okay, go ahead. Angel. Spike. Xander. Oh, come on. That's, you gave me an easy one. No, uh, I, I'm going to back what, it off. Wait, wait, wait. I'll answer that. Uh, you kill Xander. <sighs> Jesus, I kill Xander without having a fuck, Mary option. Um, ooh. Oh, wait, that's hard. Okay, well, you definitely kill Xander anyway. Right, yes. Um, uh, I guess, I guess, I mean, I have, I'm not gonna marry Angel. So I guess I'd fuck Angel. He's probably fine. I'll fuck Angel because, you know, he'll go bad after that anyway. 
And then I'll marry Spike. All right. Second question. Spike and David from Lost Boys. Oh, wait, but who's the third? There's no third. Just you think they they get along? You think that they they would hate each other? Oh, oh, oh! No, they would hate each other. That's what I thought. They would too. hate each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. because uh, wait, date, wait, David uh, being uh, uh, being uh, right. Son. I'm so sorry. I was picturing Jason Patrick. Okay, they they would hate. Who what was Jason Patrick's name in uh, the Lost Boys? Oh fuck! Oh my god! I, I th- Oh my god, I was just listening to this podcast. Um, whatever. Yeah, stop throwing your phones. It was Michael. We should have known that. But also, it was late, and I'd had a lot of drinks. Kimberly was sober, but I'd had a lot of drinks. And I'm the one that actually researched the goddamn fucking movie to do the podcast. Anyway, they would hate each other. Okay, David and Spike, sorry. Right, Keeper Sutherland's character and Spike. No, in the no, Lost they would get along. You think so? I think they would get along. I think that they would be too beautiful to live with each other. <laughs> they would get along to a point, and then it would become, and then it would become hostile. The, uh, yes, I, I agree. Like I think originally, uh, initially, they would they would take a lot of a lot of pleasure in just like you know uh, nightly living. But yeah, then then it could get ugly. All right, and now we're done. Spooktacular 2023 was written and produced by me, Dave Bledsoe, with additional production help from Gavin St. James. Kimberly Steele is the executive producer and senior editor of What the Hell Were You Thinking? She has no other audio production credits, does not use social media, so yeah, don't bother. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. Please find the show wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to donate so you can hear more dumb stuff like this, hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Next week, we will return to making fun of Ronald Reagan or some shit. I don't know what we're going to do. All I know is Halloween's over. Go, Go put up a Christmas tree or something. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. What are you people looking at? Well? They're looking at the wee little puppet man. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.